Hey, everybody. It's Mike Carlson from Podcast the Ride. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Scott Gairdner. Hello. And Jason Sheridan. Hey. And we've got a little announcement. We sure do. Yep. We're launching our new podcast on an app called Spoke to give Spoke. you three exclusive episodes. Can you believe it? Three. I can't. Yeah. Don't don't believe it, but it's true. Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. Well, how does that work, though? Well, I'm going to explain. The Spoke team handpicks the best moments from tons of podcasts and creates playlists of clips so you can try a bunch of shows out and find something new to love. So they're all grouped by topics or themes is what you're saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. Thank you for figuring that out. Thank mm-hmm. you. I mean, you could try like a playlist that's uh, like about music being decoded when it's playlists with clips about unpacking and analyzing and figuring out how people make songs and what. why are they so cool, you know? They also have one uh, called Spoke's Perpetually Single Playlist, dedicated to podcasts about relationships, or lack thereof, in my case. Sure, Jason, don't put yourself down. I want to, I want to, all right. (laughs) (laughs) There's all sorts of things is what we're trying to say, and Spoke has, like, fun exclusive content from Feral, like our podcast. Uh, So you definitely don't want to miss these special episodes. Download Spoke now, free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of Podcast the Ride's exclusive Spoke episodes at hearspoke.com slash podcast the ride. That's the address. Uh, Check it out. Spoke. It's time to spoke. Yeah, we're spoken. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable, you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks, plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. Welcome to episode 141. Uh, if you haven't listened to the show before, well, it's a loose-formed conversation. Uh, you know, instead of a stiff question-answer sort of interview there. And if, if you haven't, like I said, listened before, it is a... Uh, I talk to a lot of artists and activists and musicians and writers and uh, some quite legendary, some that will be legends in the future. And uh, Well, actually, I think they all will be. I, I talk to... Uh, a wide variety of people, and it's probably why my show isn't hugely popular, but it is popular. But, uh, you know, it's such an eclectic mix of people that I think it's hard to pigeonhole the show. And uh, so it's making, uh, you know, I should, I'm the studs turkle of my time. <laughs> the most arrogant thing I could say. Uh, but if you'd like to help my show uh, grow, Go to the iTunes and write a review. If everybody who listens to this wrote a review this week on iTunes and gave me five stars and said, hey, this is great, it would really help my... uh, So please, do that. Do that. And um, today, I have... uh, I think this is a record for somebody returning, actually, other than Jerry Stahl, uh, who returns quite frequently, uh, author of of Permanent Midnight, if you don't really know who Jerry Stahl is. But uh, today... 
uh, is uh, Linda Torado returns. She wrote um, the incredible book, Hand to Mouth, Living in Bootstraps, America, and it's all about um, poverty and what it is actually like to be a person in poverty, which she wrote while she was a person in poverty. And just a lot of the American misconceptions uh, that we have in America is really what I meant to say. But anyway, it's a, a incredibly well-written book. It's also at times humorous, and it's also infuriating. But she has joined us today to talk about her new project, which is um, Bootstraps, Bootstrap Industries, which is helping m- mentor people in poverty um, to tell their story via uh, written word or videos and whatnot. And, uh, you know, because as she discusses, the people in poverty don't have a lot of resources, though we always just think everybody in this country could pull themselves up by their bootstraps and, and make it on their own. But that's a load of bullshit. And even Howard Zinn talks about this, you know. It's not that cut and dry. Because if everybody could work hard and be a millionaire, don't you think this entire country would just be chock full of fucking wall-to-wall millionaires? Yeah. Anyway, there's that. And uh, since we're on the topic of uh, poverty and stuff, and we talk about Baltimore a little bit in this episode, which uh, I think it's interesting that people are... They they vilify these the, the people rioting in, in Baltimore and... Uh, you know, they're fighting oppression and they're f- fighting for freedom, really, to a degree. You know, they're fighting the thing, the, the poverty. And it's, uh, we talk about this, but they don't, the media makes them look like they're thugs, which, first of all, if anybody on the news says the word thug, that's biased reporting and they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> but also, we glorify, we go to third world countries all the time and bomb the living fuck out of them and say that is, you know, fighting oppression in those countries. And yet when the folks in Baltimore do it, it's thugs. Look at these awful people. And it's they're doing the same exact thing. They're fighting. They've been oppressed and and victimized by the police. Yet we just decide because I don't know why, because it's here in America. I'm not 100% sure. Oh, I felt good. I haven't had a political... But let's... Anyway, I know there's a lot of violence and negative things maybe to uh, 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 or ugly things that are hard to focus on about Baltimore but let's not forget about the delicious crab oh it's so good in Baltimore so let's just remember the positives too crab Michael or I was uh, David Simon I was gonna say Michael Simon uh, a great but he's from Cleveland and that town I don't I don't know how the oppression is there I'm sure it exists Anyway, I haven't had a political rant on this show in a while, uh, so it felt good. But I've been angry because it's, it's it's just weird to me because we have Ferguson, we have new, you know all these incidences of police brutality, and yet we're just constantly like denying that these people that people have a right to be angry. Uh, you know, it's always like. Is, is it shocking anymore that our cops are horrible? I mean, in the city of Chicago where I grew up or where I spent a large portion of my life, the police have a great history of being racist and violent and oppressive. And then, of course, recently they had these black sites where they, like CIA black sites, where they would hold people without booking them and torture them for information, oftentimes people who were completely innocent. And people are still like, oh, man, can you believe it? It's like, yes, 
Read Chicago history. It's ripe with racism and violence towards African Americans. It's just like, and many other, and and filthy hippies. Um, I mean, you read about what Richard Daley had planned for the good old uh, 1968 Democratic Convention. It's like, yeah, he. There was an incident uh, pre the 68 Convention where they beat the shit out of a bunch of people just randomly for like a really small quiet protest that was a variety of people of ages and races but they just beat the shit out of them ah police oh police anyway so let us get I'm riled up on coffee by the way let us go and listen to Linda Trotto it's a great episode and I think I I just she's one of my favorite guests because she gives great insights on uh poverty and in in America that I think a lot of people are unaware of or choose not to think of so and uh, please google her and she gives her information at the end of the show if you can help this uh, new venture she has bootstraps industry please reach out and help Linda Trotto What is exactly? Uh, I was reading it again this morning, but the what you're doing with Patreon uh, and bootstrap. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, it started. Uh, you know, clearly I had an essay that, that wasn't meant to be an essay, but went super viral. And I realized that I never would have had the balls to write that if I'd known I had an audience. Um. And then I started thinking about all of the things, all of the reasons that I'd never written anything like that before. Uh, and it was all access to entry. It was all barriers to entry and, and not having enough resources in hand and not having anybody to show me, you know, step one, step two, step three. And simultaneously, I started, you know, meeting indie media after I was in Ferguson, like building kind of a freelancer community. And I realized that... Um, I realized that they didn't have any resources either, but, um, you know, they have the experience and the knowledge and the expertise. And I started thinking, okay, so I've got people that can create content that don't have the, the resources behind them. I've got great ideas that have no idea how to build the content and also lack the resources. So what if we just started hooking folks up? Um, and then I looked at how do you how do you turn that into money? How do you make that self-sustaining? Um, and I realized that there's value in having a, a platform uh, for all sorts of stories like mine, and and being that kind of resource. So that's that's basically what Bootstrap is. Is, is like I have this big ass platform. Get on here with me. I figured out a way to make it financially viable. Um, which is great, and and basically the premise is, um, whatever your medium is, you can make something in that. We will take twenty percent off the top. We'll do all of the advertising. We'll get the distribu- distribution networks. We've got all of that ready to go, and we also know that your content's going to be good because we're partnering you up with somebody who can show you the ropes and make sure that production quality is on spec, which you know most people do if they had access to the tools 
skills, resources, and experience. But anybody just starting out, those are their barriers. So, and would this be content of uh, like what you wrote? People telling their stories of living in poverty and. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I ran into really frequently is, is people uh, assuming that I was representative of anything. And the point that I kept making is I'm not special. There's 45 million people living in worse conditions than I was the moment that I wrote that essay. Now, I've lived in the depths of poverty. That's totally happened. Most people come in and out of it over their lifetimes. But you know, to, to say that one person could represent that many variants is is wrong. And secondly, I kept running into people saying, oh, you're an anomaly. It's not left for most people. And I thought, how do we disprove that? Well, let's get another thousand people to talk about the exact, except for their 45-year-old black men and 89-year-old Hispanic women and 12-year-olds. And, you know, anybody that wants to talk has had this, let's get them up here so that nobody can say, oh, it just cannot sweep that many people under the rug. It's easy to take one whatever anomaly. Tons of people actually were reaching out to me on Twitter um, asking advice just because I, I they, they would see me and think that maybe I would know things like what do you do if your landlord is supposed to pay the utilities but he doesn't pay the gas bill in winter. Um, and so people would tweet at me and be like, I'm withholding rent. And the first thing I'd say is don't do that. Then they can evict you. Put that shit in escrow. Um, and I realized that there is actually a really broad market for people to kind of share advice and their own solutions to kind of the problems that we run into in, in a life in, in the working classes that a lot of folks simply, you know, haven't run into stuff or they don't know anybody that knows, or maybe they just moved states and they're not sure what their state laws are. And so a, a, a series of, of content that is, you know, working folks talking to working folks, that's not meant to talk outside of our class. It's not meant for anybody but us. We really lack that. So Bootstrap is, is partially a way to help spark that conversation and partially a way to kind of narrow the playing field that most working folks have where you don't have time to sit down and learn how to build an app, even if you've got the most fantastic idea in the history of app building. Yeah, it's interesting because it's there are no resources or nobody knows. I mean, I've had problems with landlords and especially in Los Angeles, like it's impossible to get any kind of help or, and, and I, it's like hard to find out where to go. Or if you do get like a hint of like, you call the city, you end up spending days trying to figure out who the fuck you talk to. Precisely. And if we could just say, hey, so this guy just went through this in Los Angeles, and here's the people he had to call, and here's how long it took, and here's the steps he had to jump through, um, that could be an invaluable resource to thousands of people in the area of just even having somebody say, oh, no, I already went through this there. And, and given how many people go through these things in all of these places, it seems like it's silly not to record that and make that into a resource for other people. Yeah, and it's um, to deal with situations like that and have not to have nowhere to go or try to figure to figure out where to go. It it's fucking demeaning, man. I mean, it you feel hopeless and like no one gives a shit when you're in one of those situations. 
And, you know, the, the frank point is that you're having to navigate stuff that most people need law degrees to understand, and you're doing it while you're still working and while you're going through the stress of, you know, financial struggles or eviction or whatever it is. It, it takes a superhuman capacity to process new information, which, as we all know, folks that hold down multiple part-time jobs basically have that capacity. But there's no reason that we should be wasting it on basic questions that we could be answering for each other. Absolutely. Why do, why do you think these resources do not exist? Like, why is it so hard for somebody who doesn't make a lot of money to get help? Because there's no money in it. <laughs> and that's literally the answer. <laughs> that's really it. Yeah, that's... I, I went to, um, in the course of, of getting Bootstrap up and started, um, I went to a lot of places and a lot of incredibly intelligent people, very successful people, uh, folks who run similar things for different issues or different advocacy. And uh, I said, how do I, how do I get this started? How do I get it off the ground? And the answer in every single case, and I know 15 and counting so far, has been you're going to have to crowdfund it. You will never find institutional support. Um, and, and that's just true. There is no return on investment when you're talking about poor people, because even if we're going to get it paid back, we're not going to pay it back quickly or, or with enough interest to make it worth people investing. It's not a sexy issue. It's not like, you know, Sarah McLaughlin's not going to get up and sing a song with all of the poor, starving children in Baltimore who don't have school lunch today. You know, what's happening in Baltimore, they shut the schools down. You have activists from Ferguson putting together what they call Baltimore lunch so that those children stay fed because the government wouldn't do it, because NGOs wouldn't do it, and because all of the national anti-poverty organizations don't have the capacity for that sort of work. So, you know, when, when we are literally having to clean up after the government's problems for ourselves, that tells you what sort of support there is. Like today, I was on Twitter right before, uh, right before we got on uh, here, and there, there's now a new bill um, in Congress that's a $12 minimum wage by 2020. Now, the last I heard, three weeks ago, we were fighting for $15 and a union. And now we're fighting for 12 and no union. And that is the sort of support that you get for low-income folks and low-income issues. We are the first under the bus. We are the first to be exploited. We are the first to be ignored because you can safely ignore people that are so damn busy trying to feed themselves they don't have time for civil unrest. Yeah, it's true. Why? It's, if you do the basic math on twelve dollars an hour, if a forty-hour week, it, that's not enough. That's especially in if you're in a bigger city. But it's not enough. I would say anywhere. And it's not going to be enough because, remember, this is by 2020, so this is a tiered thing, just like the last minimum wage raise. Now, the last minimum wage raise was in 1996, so we'll get to $12 by 2020, and then maybe in 2035 we'll start talking again about the minimum wage. This bill is morally bankrupt. I don't care how pragmatic it is. It's it's almost like they seem – it's like they're doing a favor. Like, oh, we'll make it $12. Like, it's like you're not doing us a fa anybody a fucking favor. Like, oh, we're making it 12 Lucky you. 
Yeah, well, they couldn't get 15 through, so they're settling on 12. And what I have to say is that sends me the message that you don't think I'm worth fighting for for that $3 an hour. But you know who's going to be coming out telling me that they're the only party that I should vote for based on my class? It's going to be the party that just brought up a $12 bill. I'm guessing that's the Democrats. Yeah, that would be the Democrats. I mean, because I mean, and, and, and look, it's true. They are the Himmler to the Hitler. And I will give you that every single time. Like, but I, I try not to support any God winning ever, but in some circumstances, it can't be helped. Um, I, I mean, look, you've got, I'm incredibly frustrated with the Democratic Party for three reasons right now. One is that they are selling out workers and telling us that they are our only option. And I say, if you are going to make yourself my only option, you better damn well be a good one. Two, they are nominating um, pretty much whoever comes in with enough power and enough clout behind them to say, I am your nominee. Now, at this point in the last election, we haven't seen Barack Obama come up yet either, but it frightens me that a party that calls themselves the Democrats aren't even basically bothering to have a primary. I, I'm a little disturbed by that. The third thing that's disturbing me is that they are actually trying to spin Hillary Clinton as a hero of the working classes because her parents were middle class in Illinois. And I say yes to live if you're lived for the past 30 years, you haven't been allowed to drive your own car. You are not one of the people. It's... Uh... Yeah, I mean, for and when that's the frame and the rhetoric, I think, how dumb do you think I am? Yeah, it's I mean, people forget that Clinton was not he did some union busting and was I mean, I mean, the first Clinton, it's like they they were not very pro working class to begin with. Dude, the first the, the, Bill Clinton brought us welfare reform. Bill Clinton brought us NAFTA. Bill Clinton brought us union busting. Bill Clinton brought us more restrictions on welfare for bullshit reasons that were legitimately made up by, I swear to God, Rush Limbaugh was one of the cited reasons that Bill Clinton post late passed welfare reform. You've got Hillary Clinton stumping for her husband's policies, which I understand if she's the first lady, that's her job. But then the turn around and say, oh, no, 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 I never believed in any of that. I don't know. No, you don't get to do that. You can be a smooth political operator. Sell yourself to me as that and I will buy it. But do not think that you're a smoother political operator than the entire working class is capable of spotting. There's 45 million of us. We can't all be that dumb. Do you think the message is getting out there more these days or is it Still, because I mean, I pay attention to it, so I'm like, oh, people are talking about class war and poverty, but I'm probably in the minority of people who actually really focus on this. Do you feel like it's get, sure. getting better, or is it is it still just a thing that people wish to turn a blind eye to, or even think it's our fault? 
Um, you know what I've been realizing over the last year or so is I've been kind of doing a lot of public speaking and a lot of work on the issue is that those of us who are out here are kind of the canaries in the coal mine. We, it is literally my job to go to the comfortable classes and say, hey, you do realize you're making it intolerable for like a critical mass of people, right? Like you don't have that much longer to be on this path, right? You've read history, right? Um, and and what I'm seeing is that people are much more willing to be accepting of that premise than they were even a year ago. Um, I don't necessarily know that, that what the impact is or has been. What I do know is that even if it's a bullshit, low-hanging fruit, barely tolerable bill, there is a bill to raise the minimum wage that might actually get passed. I do know that even though we know Hillary Clinton probably cares about as much about the working classes as she needs to to get herself elected, she's at least pretending to pay attention to the working classes, which is not a thing we could have said eight years ago or, or pre-crisis. Like, these things are becoming topics of national discussion in a way that they weren't before. The fact that I have a career at all is new. So, I mean, when, when we're talking about that, I think that, you know, yeah, it's making a, a slow incremental difference. And, and, you know, as in all things, we're basically just waiting for people in power to wake up and realize the situation that they've created to see if they can save themselves from it before the rest of us get tired of waiting. That's, I mean, because the way things have been going with union busting, and it's like my home state of Illinois, has be, like the current governor there is doing everything he can to fucking kill unions and keep right. wages low. And it's, inf I mean, it's infuriating, but I'm like, for one, how do, there's an element of people who buy into this, uh, what is it, right to work garbage. And the, oh. and the, the backlash that has existed against unions, I'm like, how... When are people going to wake up and like, because it's like, it's going to get to the point where it's so bad, people are going to be fucking furious and Baltimore is going to be everywhere. <laughs> it's like, because part of what's Baltimore is also, it, yes, it's race, but it is, it's also a, about class and the poor. You cannot separate oppressions. And the fact that we're seeing we're, we're seeing this kind of unrest in black communities first is due entirely to the fact that we are talking about poor and black communities. They have gotten to the breaking point before we did. Because one thing you can say as a poor white person, ain't a single cop going to try to kill you on your way home. Not going to happen. You can't say that as a poor black person. You cannot say that with anything like authority or any anything like belief, because today might be the day that they try. So, you know, I, I think that when we're talking about political repression, we're talking about political uprising. Yeah, yeah, black folks are going to come out first. It, it's going to happen because we treat them so much more poorly. They come in for everything we give poor people. Plus, they come in for all of the racial connotations and stereotyping. We know that I, as a white woman, will make more than a black man who's going to make more than a black woman or a Hispanic woman. Like, they there, there is an actual measurable hierarchy to oppression in America as when, when you're talking about economic indicators. And, and when that's the case, yeah, you're going to see the people on the bottom of that hierarchy start to pop off first. But the fact that anybody is popping off at all is fairly indicative of the problem. And the fact that you've got white folks coming out in support of black people, and I'm talking folks that are fairly racist even. Like, I know a couple of legit dyed-in-the-wool racists that are out for Black Lives Matter 
because they see it as an economic issue. And, you know, they might not personally want their daughter to marry a black guy, but, you know, maybe we shouldn't be shooting him in the street. And when you have actual racists that can come to that logic, it's only a matter of time before everybody starts to see what the hell's happening. Now, I mean, is that going to be a good thing? Is that going to lead to movement or action? I have no idea. People are inherently lazy, and I've learned not to trust the American public with political decisions. Um, I mean, like, the American voting populace is what gave us the system that we have now. So, no, I don't trust them any farther than I can damn well throw them. But, you know, on the other hand... When you have things that some people are labeling riots and then hundreds of thousands of people come out and say, this isn't a riot, it's an uprising, get it straight. Um, that That's a big deal. That's a big deal. The government suspended habeas corpus in Baltimore. The governor suspended a right that is so basic, so fundamental to our Constitution. We remembered it before the Bill of Rights. It's written into the original document. Like, this is some Magna Carta shit from the 12th century, and they up and suspended it because they were afraid of a few thousand people. They brought in the National Guard and police from five different surrounding states, and that wasn't enough to stop a few thousand people. So when that's happening, you have to wonder how much do they really see coming. And I've been wondering that as I've been watching kind of like these these local movements where, you know, they kill some kid or they kill some dude, and suddenly you've got an uprising, and they're coming in out of all form, dude. You don't need 20 black people have a vigil. You don't need to roll in with riot guns and, and, and canine units like they did in Ferguson. You know, so when you've got the government actually cracking down that hard and you have people in power that are that frightened, I have to wonder what I'm missing and, and what sort of things we could be harnessing. Yeah, it's uh, and it's amazing to me, too, because it's like we have Ferguson. We had New York. We had. And it's like, how many... Chicago, fuck? we have thousands now. Thousands of names we have. And it's like, how, yeah, and it's like, how is this still, like... Uh, why is there nothing being done to solve it? It's like, it's like they, it's like they keep victimizing... They keep making the people look bad. Like, it's like, well, these fucking thugs. And it's like, they're not thugs. They're fucking pissed off. I would be pissed off. I would be doing the same thing. I had to get an argument with some guy um, the other day, and he was talking about riots. And I'm like, you, you, you have heard of the American Revolution, right? And he goes, well, they weren't rioters. They weren't destroying private property. And I'm like, you have heard of the American Revolution, right? <laughs> like, I, I, dude, we, we have an entire right-wing political movement based on an act of vandalism. Like, <laughs> I, I, I cannot fathom the, the level of ignorance of both English and history that it takes to say we have never rioted for political movements in this country. It, we, we have a history of only making political change when there are riots. So <laughs> I, 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 
it just it, it blows my mind. And and what I keep coming back to is that like crazy World War Two poem of like they came for everybody else first, and I didn't say anything. Um, and and I do like that is I think human nature. I think we're going to see that where they came for the black people, and then they're going to come for the poor people, and then they're going to come for like they, we we see this, we know this is happening, we see these laws being passed. Like in Kansas, you've got brownbacks saying that poor people can't go to psychics or on cruise ships, which is, you know, a landlocked state. So that that is probably a fair. I, I, I have never personally seen a cruise ship in Kansas. And so I can support people not using their welfare dollars on all of the cruise ships in Kansas. Um, but, you know, the, the more insidious part of that bill and what didn't get paid so much attention to is a $25 daily cap on welfare withdrawals from ATMs. Now, here are some problems with that. One, have you ever seen an ATM that has a $5 increment? Because I've only seen one like twice in my life. Secondly, that's an ATM fee every single day. So what you have is a condescending paternalistic law saying we better protect you from having too much money or you'll go blow it on something stupid like your rent. And by the way, let's do it in the least fiscally responsible way possible. Let's have you paying all of the fees every single day. That is how we're going to teach you fiscal responsibility. And when you have a government that's schizophrenic, because this is this is 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 like I, I believe would fit, I personally believe that Brownback's law here would actually fit the legal definition of insanity. Um, you know, that is that is them coming for us. They are already doing it. It's just that when you're talking about power differentials, you're talking about folks in power using their systems to come for us. It's not obvious. It's not all going to be with guns. It's not all going to be violent repression. What we know about white folks is that we're privileged people. We would never tolerate police shooting our children dead in the streets. But you know what we will tolerate? Tighter welfare fair restrictions. That's fine. And then they start restricting people that are a little bit above class. Like, hey, do you take a home mortgage deduction? Oh, we get to regulate you too. And when that starts to float up the chain, suddenly people are personally affected. Suddenly they care. Yeah, I don't... Why does uh, our country take such... Why is the people on welfare constantly just vilified as being these lazy, drugged up people. Like, I, I'm assuming part of that ATM law is like, well, they're going to go blow it on crack rock. Uh, yeah, no, actually, it was TVs they were concerned about. TVs? <laughs> yeah, they were concerned everybody was going to go out and buy a big screen. And that wasn't, you know, uh, look, it just, just don't question it. Just accept that we all buy at least a big TV every month. So that's what being on poverty, like being in poverty is. Is, is monthly new TVs um, and, and, and just go with the watch. <laughs> I, it, it really is that dumb. It really is that dumb. It, it is about TVs because you can totally have a bunch of those at once. I know personally when I was on food stamps, I had at least 12 TVs around at all times because I would just expand by like an inch every month and be like, I got a 32, I don't like it, I'm going to go for a 34. And you were eating a lot, go of, for a lot of lobsters back then too, right? Ton of lobster, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, that was the other Kansas thing. They said that you wouldn't be able to buy. No, that was Missouri. That oh, was Missouri. Missouri with the another, steak and, yeah, steak and lobster was Missouri. Another great state for pot. Mm. 
Well, I mean, generally, when it comes to when it comes to food restrictions and stuff like that, I think to myself, you know what you want to do if you're trying to teach people to eat healthy? Cut out iron and omega-3 fatty acids. <laughs> just, just... <laughs> You're not, those are, those are rich people, vitamins and nutrition, nutrients. Um, poor people actually don't need omega-3 fatty acids in their diet as we are uh, a bit superhuman. Yeah. Which is really, you know, comes back to your question of why everybody's afraid of poor people. It's because we're secretly superhuman. And, um, you know, everybody's worried that maybe if unemployment gets high enough, you have all of these superhumans suddenly not having to work all the time. What else are they going to do but come for your castle? What they, what they go- government doesn't realize is that uh, poor people get stronger on Kraft macaroni and cheese. It's true. Kraft macaroni and cheese is like Popeye spinach. Is now how cuz uh, the whole time we're talking about this and I know this is what you're trying to do is give all of this a voice and like why in general do I feel like there can't be a a, a movement like there's, you know, like a a figurehead to all this stuff that's like out there and marching and uh, and because the second you create a leader um, there's going to be 28 people that disagree with them and and more to the point especially when it comes to classwork and this is really really interesting to me um, the second you give somebody a platform you have already separated them from the class of people they are representing I can't say we anymore. I still slide into it a ton when I'm, you know, making jokes or when I'm like really passionate about it because I've got 10, 15 years behind me of saying we. But the fact that I say we and then tomorrow I'm going to turn in an article to the New York Times editorial board. You know, so you've got that dichotomy of, of, of essentially the second you become successful at working on these things, you kind of are problematic as a leader. But you can't create a leader without giving them the platform. So with, with class issues particularly, there's there's quite a bit of, of internal um, trouble. And, you know, we run into the same problem in every marginalized community. Personally, I fucking hated Occupy. I hated Occupy. Still hate Occupy. Think that it was one of the biggest waste of resources and energy that I've ever seen in my damn life. Uh, what was your problem? Now. What? Oh, go ahead. Oh, about 25 million. To begin with, the consensus thing, if your entire political movement depends on jazz hands, you are doing politics wrong. Like... I, I, I just, the entire thing aesthetically didn't fucking work for me. I am not peaceful. I am not going to sit quietly in the streets and give them, ask for permission to be there. I am not going to sit next to a fucking drum circle and think that I'm helping to, you know, solve poverty. I think that those are the same folks who make peace quilts for awareness in year three of a war. <laughs> like, I don't find the value there. Now, does that mean that there isn't any? Absolutely not, because Occupy actually activated thousands of people across the country and across the world even. It set up networks. It set up infrastructure. It set up, you know, something like precedent for working folks to come out and decide it's time to just sit the fuck down. We're going on strike. Screw this. 
And, you know, I think that that is fantastic. So the second you have a single leader, um, you're going to have other people coming out and being like, hey, we think you're actually harming the movement. We disagree with your tactics. We don't like your aesthetic. We don't like your rhetoric. And the beauty of it, of having a leaderless movement, is that you can have five different people running five different kinds of things, and you're going to run into activating five different groups of people. Like, I, for some reason, am hugely popular in the right wing. Like, I'm, I'm on Newsmax more than I am MSNBC. And why is that? Because I come from a red state, because I can speak in conservative rhetoric, because I actually am fairly conservative in a lot of ways, because I'm turned off by a lot of the left-wing progressive movement, because I personally think that Elizabeth Warren leaving the Senate is the worst damn idea I've ever heard. I want her to stay on the banking committee. So all of these folks who are like, why doesn't Elizabeth Warren run? I'm like, you people are fucking stupid. She's not going to get anywhere, but she will have to make a lot of compromises. And you know what's great if we just leave her right the hell where she is being effective doing what she's doing. Um, you know, so for, for me, I come out and I just say it's not a right or left wing thing. For me, the problem is we have two ruling parties and there is no space for anybody that does not fall within one of those two major parties to be politically involved. They will make sure of it because they have all of this power and all of these resources. It's why every single one of our founding fathers came out strongly against partisanship. Political parties actually weren't allowed for some time because they were so afraid that we would turn into exactly what we've become. And so when you go to the right wing, it doesn't matter what color your hair is or how liberal you are on gay rights. If you're like, look, everybody's screwing us equally and I'm as happy to hit the left as I am the right, that's a message everybody can actually get behind because it's not partisan. And for me, this work has nothing to do with your political affiliation and everything to do with what does your life look like? Is it comfortable and privileged? Fuck you. You're not in my constituency. Like, and, and that's it. I'm out for workers, and I don't care how they vote. I really don't. I think that, you know, personally, I have a lot of opinions on social issues, and I would vote a certain way, and I would vote for certain people, like, every single time, like clockwork. But as far as the work, if you're a movement... Like, and this was the biggest problem I had with Occupy, is they refused to embrace the right wing. And for you to stand there and say, no, 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 only people with this political ideology deserve a fair wage, that's ridiculous bullshit to me. That's as harmful as saying nobody deserves a fair wage. Do you, there should be no partisan test for fairness. Yeah. I mean, I think it's amazing that people are staunchly just like, I'm a Democrat, and it's like I read... You know, like all of us, we see the posts on Facebook and it's just so like, it's blind. And it's like, you know, it's just like, it's like the Republicans are the bad guys and the Democrats are the good guys. And it's like, they're fucking not. <laughs> it's like, they're right. just as no, bad. They just, right. They just say it more nicely. I mean, look at it this way. So we had, um, and, and the example I frequently use when people are like, but why aren't you coming out in favor of the Democrats? Because I, I did used to organize for them, and clearly my sympathies lie on the left. Um, but I point to Chuck Schumer, who is the dude that inserted last fall when we were doing the budget bill. We repealed the provisions that would stop banks from making the same risky trades that got us into the original 2008 crash. 
and nobody would take credit for inserting that provision to repeal those regulations, but it was Chuck Schumer. And when the top-ranking Democrat in the Senate on this committee is the one that's going to bat for the banks, I've got problems. I've got problems with that party. And anybody who doesn't is an ideologue, is a partisan, is not out fighting for workers, is not out fighting for the bottom 20 percent, 30, 40 percent of America. They're fighting for their political party. And great. Thanks. Best of luck with that. I don't need you. When you go on these conservative shows, do they hear your message or do they, or how do they accept that? Yeah, actually, I, I have oddly found that they are more ready to let me say what I came there to say than than the liberal shows. The liberal shows very much want me to fit into kind of a, a particular narrative of class issues and a particular way of looking at them. And on the conservative shows, I'm already such a wild card that they just sort of let me go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but but what I found is that um, like on on Newsmax, the show that they come and ask me to do most frequently is called Midpoint. Um, you know, I find that they will set me up with questions like, "Hey, so you know, we've got a bunch of people on our side saying this. Would you consider that true or false, and why?" And they're very open-ended, and they're very just tell us your thoughts on this. Um, and, and on the left-wing shows, they will, like, okay, so we know that X and Y and Z are true. Tell us why that's so. Um, and, and that's not as helpful a starting point, because very frequently, one of X or Y or Z is not actually true. And then I spend all of my airtime being like, actually, your assumptions are completely batshit. Um <laughs> Like, I, I just, it drives me up a damn wall. So, I mean, I, I've found that there is an appetite for people, no matter which side they fall on, as far as partisanship or as far as ideology, there is an appetite on both sides for people to figure out what the hell has happened and how the hell we fix it. Most workers, whether they vote Democrat or Republican, are not that fussed about who's in the White House. They want to know what their taxes are going to be like, whether or not they're public transportation is going to work, whether or not their minimum wage is going to be raised, whether or not there's going to be child care subsidies. All of these things are what working people care about. Now, outside of that, sure, we care about abortion, we care about marriage, we care about all of these other issues. And that's where you see a real partisan divide that is clear, that should be adhered to. But on economic issues, dude, you've got a couple of like rich people on one side fighting rich people on the other side about what to do with all the poor people. And neither one of us asks us first. So when you're going to folks on either the right or the left and you go, hey, I'm just like you. And they go, oh, right. Okay. And you can sit down and have that discussion. Well, when you said like, uh, how, how would we fix this? Is, is that an answerable question or is that it? I think um, I'm often asked for policy prescriptions, and I will only publicly give one. Start requiring that part of the affected population be in on the drafting of the bills. There is no reason for you to draft welfare legislation without talking to a single welfare recipient. There is no reason for you to be talking about child care legislation without a single parent. There is no reason you should be making abortion regulations without a single woman. Um, 
And, and I think that if we could put that in place and just get folks a seat at the table, to begin with, we would find much more sensible rules. Welfare restrictions now, my God, the number of idiotic, counterproductive, time-wasting hoops you have to jump through because somebody somewhere thought it was going to be a good idea. Paul Ryan's opportunity grant from last year, you remember that? Mm-hmm. OG Paul Ryan? Okay. It was basically, it was, I swear to God, an acronym in the thing. I didn't even make it up. It's OG Paul Ryan. Um, but if you look at it, it's basically life coaching for poor people. And what he's done is come up with a bunch of actually incredibly useful prescriptions to a very specific, narrow community. Folks who are in fifth or sixth generation poverty would absolutely benefit from the kind of mentorship that Paul Ryan put forward in his opportunity grant. I've got no bones to pick there. The trouble I've got is when you start putting those restrictions on folks who don't need that help. When you start putting those restrictions on folks who have already done all of the things that your program is meant to help them do, but they still have to go to the counseling sessions and they still have to go to all of this stuff. It's, it's a waste of federal dollars. It's condescending, paternalistic, won't actually help many people in the long term. And oh, by the way, it's fucking useless for 90% of the population it's meant to serve. Has has that ever happened where they reach out to somebody about these policies, or is that just totally non-existent? Yeah, they they do for form's sake. Um, like again, back to Paul Ryan when he did the poverty hearings on the budget committee. There were five days of hearings. Um, for one of the days, they brought in one welfare recipient. The rest of it was people who administer welfare programs, talking about what they thought their populations would need. Um. Because what you find, and and the reason that I have a career, really, is because I speak middle class when called upon. People don't feel terribly threatened by me because I am not an angry black woman. Um, I don't speak in my own vernacular very frequently when I'm in Congress. I do sometimes, don't get me wrong. I enjoy it. But... Yeah, and so yeah, there there's all of that. Um I think that I think that it should be a requirement though that we hire some folks to just sit and read through the policies before we put them out there. Why we're not focus grouping with the effective or with the affected populations is fucking beyond me. We focus group the hell out of them and pay all sorts of money to talk to poor folks when it comes time to elections, but we can't do it when it comes time to pass laws. And and the thing I keep trying to tell legislators is look, poor people will work for cheap. <laughs> you you can afford to hire us, I promise. Uh, <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. They'll hire homeless people to sit in line for them for the Supreme Court, but they can't hire somebody to look over their policies and make sure they're not being idiots. So, uh, I, sort of, I can't help but think, but like on a personal level, how much change you've gone through from like because now you're like this very busy, active, um, traveling all over, appearing on television shows. I mean, is has that been a bit dizzying to go? Because it's been. Am I, maybe I'm incorrect, but... Oh, dude, if I wasn't fucking crazy before, I am now. Um, 
You can't, I mean, look, stress comes in two forms, stress and eustress, right? You cannot take somebody who has a certain expectation of life, who is in a certain station, and just pick them up and drop them off about 50 miles on the other direction and say, okay, best of luck, and expect that to go well. It's been a ton of fun, and I've been doing a ton of great work, but my God, I, I have no idea what the world even is anymore. Like, people tell me, wow, you sound a lot different. You're a little more radical. And I'm like, well, none of the fucking world makes sense. So why why bother? Why even bother? And I just, I think what I think, go with it. Um, I mean, I, I, I literally went from IHOP to the White House in under six months, where I promptly spilled water on the labor secretary. Um, it's, that's me. Uh, it, it's... Um, surreal and it's jarring and it's frightening and it's a huge fucking whirlwind and the learning curves are ridiculous. Like last year, I spent the entire year saying I'm trying to learn one new industry per fiscal quarter. Can we keep it to one? Um, and people would laugh and I'm like, I I'm not actually kidding. I have publishing, I have uh, media, I have lobbying, I have like all of these things that suddenly everybody is expecting me to perform at top level on and and you know most of the people who wind up at the level that I work on have 20 or 30 years behind them right like you're aware that I've had four months to get ready for what it took you 20 years to build um so uh, the beautiful thing about it, though, is that because I didn't put that time in, I haven't had to make any of those compromises. I can walk into the White House and say fuck, and everybody just goes, ah, she doesn't know any better. She'll learn. Um, and, and, and I use that frequently to my own advantage. I set the bar so low. I set the bar so low for myself. And, and people just accept it because they do have these kind of built-in assumptions about the poor. So they think I might be a particularly articulate poor person or possibly I'm a very lucky poor person or a spectacularly intelligent poor person. But they still kind of expect me to show up barefoot with some chew in. Um, and so if I show up, you know, fully dressed, they're already kind of like, look at you. You've done such a great job getting here today. And I think, yes, thanks. I'm about to tell you you're morally bankrupt for an hour. And then you're going to pat me on the head and call me brave, um, which is great. It really is. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 a lot of change. Um, and it's uh, they they don't give you a manual and they don't give you a mentor and they don't give you any training. And one of the things that I'm doing with Bootstrap is trying to provide that support for folks who, you know, like we in, in Ferguson, there are seven or eight people I can name off the top of my head that became national or international media figures overnight. And, and they were doing it against the backdrop of this grief and this pain and the stress and, and a, a fucking police state that was sending dogs at them for having a vigil and you know all of this was going on and then also they need to worry about causing international incidents so part of what I'm hoping bootstrap can do is be a resource for folks that are coming up because that resource does not exist and if we understand that these problems are not going to go away that more and more people are going to be involved we had better damn well create the resources and the infrastructure that they're going to need or we will see this movement fall apart before it even gets started and people can help by being mentors, correct? Be, uh, to yes, absolutely. And yeah, I 
I, in any medium, in any medium you can think of, if it is, if you can put it on the internet, we are doing it. We're working. Um, we've got this guy came up with this fantastic idea um, for an app that would be a, a charity navigator for your area, where you put in all of your information once, and it filled out all of the forms for the various charities and just told you what you would qualify for. That saves hours. So many hours of running around, eligibility requirements, all of that nonsense, just bam, done, fixed. I mean, and and so we hooked him up with some app creator people, and they're working on how to get that done. Uh, I got people that are writing. I've got people who are doing videos. I've got all sorts of crazy people, and they're fantastic. Um, I can always use more folks that know the ropes. I can always use more folks that are willing to help. Obviously, we can always use funding. Um, I've personally put a fair bit of money into this, um, and that's fantastic. But this is going to need support from more than just me. And I'm talking about time, energy, money, resources, studio space, server space, you know, anything that that would be helpful, we're taking. (laughs) Um, Because what we're really hoping to do is, is become what a lot of the large poverty organizations keep meaning to be. Um, only we're doing it, we call it bootstrap industries because it's worker-led. It's, it's not people from a large union who say, oh, let's start a little project for the poor people to work on. It's us solving our own problems. That's incredible. So if people want to volunteer and help, how can they go about doing that as well as give money? Uh, bootstrapindustries at gmail.com. And, they, and, then, and then there's also the Patreon site as well, which people can... Yeah, it's patreon.com slash bootstrap, um, which, you know, yay, because I think I'm up to $8 a month, which is fantastic. Um, and if I were going for cigarette money, that would be super, super helpful for like a day and a half. Um I mean, I, and, and look, you know, we managed to get to any amount of money at all without any publicity. So I think that, that I'm actually uh, a little shocked that anybody was just like, sure, you could have a dollar every month. I'm like, really? That's awesome. Um, but yeah, we need to run to, I think my, my uh, Patreon fundraising goal is to get to about $500 a month so that we can pay somebody, like even part-time to just do the, the web maintenance and development. Um, and we're trying to get, you know, a couple of, of freelance staff. What is very important to us is that we are not asking for free labor. Um, we're not paying wages, but we are telling anybody who creates any content, you will split the profits of this with us. And we will put in all the upfront for, for production and development. We take 20%. The rest of it is split 50-50 between mentors and creators. So, you know, as we grow, as we start getting more hits, as we start getting more clicks, those are going to be lifetime revenue streams for people. It's not the same thing as getting a paycheck that one time, but it sure the hell doesn't hurt. And what's important to us is that we're never asking anybody to work for free. That's incredible. Um, Thank you very much, Linda, for taking out the time again to talk to me about all these things, as always. Oh, sure. Have me on to rage about the class war anytime. (laughs) It is my favorite uh, subject these days. <laughs> Oddly mine too. Weird. Good. And is there anything else you need to plug that, uh, mm. uh, a- 
few other projects, actually, I would highly recommend that you check out at Op, Help, or Hush online if you're looking to help with Baltimore relief efforts. Um, that is the place to go. They are coordinating right now. They're looking for baby supplies for folks who haven't been able to go to work for the past couple of uh, days. Um, if you want to be helpful on the ground, Op, Help, or Hush is a fantastic resource. Um, if you're looking for uh, ways that you can help in your community, I highly suggest you check out Twitter. Um, you can find me at Killer Martinis. I retweet shit all the damn time of how you can get involved in your local area. Um, but honestly, it comes down to something as nice as give a homeless person a cigarette that one time. That's the help that I mostly ask for, is be a little fucking nicer to people that have it worse than you. That's great. Thank you, Linda. Have a great one. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. As I said, please... Uh, write a review. Go to the, my, the Conversations with Matt Dwyer page at feralaudio.com. Donate money if you can. Use the Amazon link if you can um, to uh, buy your bullshit in life, and we get a kickback of that, and that really helps us out. Also, go to thematdwyer.com, and for all things Matt Dwyer, like my Twitter. Thank you. National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.